Hello, welcome to Boss Women, a podcast about women, comedy and business. My name's Katie and this is my mum, Karen. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, Mama said, Mama said, Who have we got today, Karen? We've got our first guest of series three. Hurrah! <laughs> but it's just uh, sad that we're not in the same room. <laughs> I know. <laughs> our first guest. Yes. camera already. My God. Oh, she's off. Um, I am, we are very, very privileged to be on Zoom with uh, the Gridiron Girls. Hooray! And Debbie Crew. Gridiron is an Edinburgh-based theatre company formed in 1995. They're known for presenting shows in unique and unusual locations. Uh, They are are a multi-award winning company um, and they have over 30 awards covering all aspects of their work. Um, They've done wonderful pieces like Barflies uh, and at the Guild of Balloon, South Bend. Uh, and The Guardian says Gridiron has shaped the face of British theatre. Welcome, ladies. Welcome, Judy and Deb. <laughs> How lovely of you to agree to talk to us, our first interviews of Series 3. Uh, now, am I, going to ask formal, am I asking the first question? And, oh yes, the thing is, you two are sisters, yeah. are you not? We are indeed, yes. Yeah. Family Just business. So you know that if you nod your head, nobody will hear you. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us a bit about your childhood together. Not both talking at the same time, obviously. You can talk separately. Who's, well, who's big sister and who's wee sister? And who's I'm, the big, I'm the big sister. Um, and then the two years younger than me, we have a brother. And then Jude came along six years after that. So I was eight when Jude appeared in the family. Oh my goodness, big sis. Oh, and we were, my brother and I were delighted that's what we wanted for Christmas. Every time we were asked for a present, we wanted a wee sister. Oh. Sorry Sorry about that. A wee doll. Was she your wee doll? She was, and we were always um, very close. I think we're lucky in that we never, we didn't go through our teens together. I was out the other end when she was coming into them. Oh, right, yeah. We never had that sort of conflict during those years. So we've always been close, actually. I think it was lucky for me as well, because I was the third. So Deb got the really strict upbringing. (laughs) Peter Peter was the boy, so he was let let off with lots of stuff. And then I was just allowed to really do what I wanted. But of course, I was a very, very good girl, and I only did very good things. And... Only ever did what my mammy told me to do. (laughs) We should mention at this point that there is some yapping in the background. (laughs) Uh, That is your babies, your dogs. Uh, They're allowed to be in the room if they want. It's okay if... uh, That's them them two rooms away, so no, I think they're better where they are. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Are they not going to bark all the time because they're not with you? No, no, no. no. It's mostly just because they've just been out for their walk. So the, right. one, so the puppy's about 18 months and the, uh, the other one's about 15. So mm-hmm. the, the puppy's a bit overexcited because he's had his 
his one walk a day. So he'll just yeah. chase the old fella around the room and then they'll both just pass out in a wee bit and that'll be fine. <laughs> All right. Honest, that, that's how Deb and I are doing our exercise at the minute. We yeah. just chase each other around the room until one of us passes out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so your childhood, you're not saying much other than you were you were far apart. Well, you were close is what they were saying. What I want to know is about um, both of your relationships with your mother as well, obviously. Um, my the point of our kind of podcast is to talk about any like life lessons that have been passed down uh through the family uh, do you think you have any from your mum and what was your relationship like with your mum well um i think you'll appreciate this one uh, katie we had a <laughs> mum who had a, a good strong personality oh yes uh knew what she wanted knew what she wanted us to do but was very good humored and full of love and full of wisdom where yeah. did you live in ireland uh we grew up in a wee place called mcgilligan mcgilligan so we were in the name. middle of a field in county Derry, uh in northern ireland and it was absolutely beautiful so we had a proper rural childhood we were uh put out the door during the summer holidays yeah. at nine in the morning and not expected to come back until six in the in the evening whenever you could do things like that and so we did so we were just up the mountain and there was rivers and streams and fields and dogs and fishing and getting oh, lovely. Idyllic. and it, obviously it was never cold <laughs> never <laughs> and that gorgeous day when you're a kid it's never cold yeah no. <laughs> but um no and, and you know going down in the winter going for some reason, it always seemed to snow. When you think back as a kid, it always seemed to snow in the winter. So, mm -hmm. you know, going down the road on, you know, tin trays and things. And, oh, lovely. No, it was, it was glorious. And we had a farm just down the road. Um, there was a sister and brothers that um, had inherited it and were running it. And there was no children with them. So we got a sort of free run of their farm as well. And they had... Um, you know, sort of Jersey cows and pet lambs who were able to feed during the summer. So, mm -hmm. so on the, the counter, sorry, is the family home still there? It is. It is. It's not in the family anymore. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Mum and dad have passed, and um, I did actually. To be honest, you'll appreciate it. Working in the working in the arts, um, the thought of a second home doesn't really come into it. So we couldn't afford to keep it. <laughs> Yeah. And it wasn't. It was interesting. I never thought that we would ever want to get to not have the house in McGilligan. Um, mm -hmm. But as soon as Mum and Dad weren't there, it wasn't. The, the light had gone out of the house yeah. somewhat. So, and yeah. I mean, I think the counterpoint to our sort of rural childhood was that we also we grew up in Northern Ireland in the middle of the Troubles, and our Mum and Dad were both art teachers, but Dad was also a local politician and and a civil rights activist. Um, and right, mum and dad wow. were, both, were both in um, the SDLP, uh, which is the Social Democratic and Labour Party. So, mm -hmm. the so we it were tough. it was tough. We were we were exposed to both sides of the wonders and challenges of living yeah. in Northern Ireland. Wow! And did you see a lot of trouble? Well, a lot. Dad, for many years, was on a was on a hit list and. Oh, oh my and things. God. There was a lot. I mean, I think Mum had a lot of times that we don't, that I don't really remember. Jude won't remember, but you know, in the, in the late 60s um, and the, in the emergence of the civil rights movement, I think, when Dad, because we did live out in the country, when Dad was at meetings and things like that, you, you know, Mum was in the house with two very young children. I think it was mm -hmm. quite scary. But, mm -hmm. um, but it was very much, I mean, Dad 
we had police around saying, wait, we need to put in bulletproof glass in the, you know, in the house and, mm -hmm. you know, check under the car and that kind of thing. But um, they were great because it was very much if you can't live your life like that because then they've won. So, mm -hmm. um, so you got used to it, did you? Or Yeah, well, you, you got used to... You got used to being... <laughs> this is going to sound really strange and I can't think of any other way to put it. But you got used to feeling very proud of them, right? And um, and sort of instilling in that you you don't let you don't let fear stop you doing things that you know are right. Yeah, we, yeah. we also got used to being uh, from a very young age uh, handing out sort of uh, party flyers and being made to stand outside chapels <laughs> singing campaign songs and electioneering. Wow. And uh, I. So has it made you both political? Yes, I, I, me certainly. I would be a, a much. We, you couldn't help but not be. We, we grew up mm -hmm. um, with having people like John Hume and Seamus Mallon and and Austin Curry and people like that at the house and these inspirational politicians or people that that were politicians because they were doing the right thing and not not career politicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Certainly, I think we we find it very hard to not um, to not stand up for what we would believe in, or mm -hmm. not stand up for when when we think something's happening that isn't right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you know when you get that rush of blood and you turn bright red and you go, "Oh my God, I have to say something now," and yeah. I really don't want to have to say it, and everybody else in this room knows better than I do, but I'm going to have to say yeah. it. Yeah, I think going back to Katie had asked a question about, you know, was there any life lesson passed on to us from mum? And it was very definitely from mum and dad, very strong all through our um, childhood, all through our growing up was, mm -hmm. you're, no, you're no better than anyone else, but you're no worse than anyone else either. Yeah, Just yeah. treat everybody how you'd like to be treated yeah. and doing the right thing. And the other thing was, the very yeah. strong was, was, there's no such thing as boredom. If we ever said we were bored, Dad would go, go out and count the grass. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of grass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I thought you left home first, Debbie, presumably. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, and, uh, you, and you left and you got married. and. Yeah, and moved over. Um, my late husband was from Edinburgh. Um, so was that the Edinburgh connection? Is that how you? That was the Edinburgh connection. Him? Although he would he would kill me for saying it. Um, <laughs> um, he was born in Luton, but he was Scottish. Yes, of course. <laughs> and how? What was what was your relationship like with both your mum and dad? Were you closer to one than the other? Were you? Were... <laughs> <laughs> you can't answer that. <laughs> no. Were think, you? I think yeah, very much like they were a team by the sound yeah. of it. Yeah. Different relationships. Mum would have been the, the disciplinarian, but and dad would yeah. have been. Um, so there's a good one. Mum would have been the raised voice, and dad would have been the raised really, eyebrow. And you know, <laughs> really disappointed me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Punching, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. making you. Um, yeah. And would you say that both of you had different relationships? with your mum and dad you know or because you're I think, I think you got closer to them because uh, whenever i moved away there was just you in the house well i think i did a lot i did my teenage years yeah. my teenage and my early 20 years going back to them like growing up on my own there mm -hmm. with them 
and going back from university when Deb and Peter were were over here mm-hmm. living their own lives and just coming home at Christmas and stuff. I think I also, until Deb then moved back to look after mum after dad passed away, I saw their more gentle aging process mm-hmm. um, and more of more of more of that. But uh, apparently, yeah. Apparently, we both look very much like our mum. Really? Really? Um, well, you must know whether you look like your mum. Here's the thing. I'm adopted. Um, Are you really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm adopted and our brother's adopted. And um, as Jude used to say, all through her um, um, pre-teen years, um, oh after about it, she's, she she would say, "I'm the real one." <laughs> because, <laughs> no, because I'd heard you know, somebody say like that. Five or six. I'd heard somebody say, "Is this your wee real one?" But no, I didn't. Oh I had God. no idea what they meant. It was never kept a secret from yeah. us until yeah. whenever I first left home and it was at art school in Nottingham, and Deb and her husband Dave came down to see my sort of graduation from art mm-hmm. school, and mm-hmm. we all had a few. Uh, a few beverages yeah. and Deb decided to tell me that she wouldn't be able to like donate blood to me if I ever needed it because we're different blood. No, oh, I did know, yeah. but, it was, but, I, but even still, because it had, it had always been, mum and dad had been very Stay upfront normal. about it, it made no difference at all. No. Was, but I had a difficulty, it was like, no, but I would have your blood, <laughs> your blood <laughs> wouldn't do anything to me. Yeah. <laughs> There may have been some wine involved in that evening. I don't. Yeah. I doubt, <laughs> can I just say I doubt it was my wine and well, probably beer. it was nineteen ninety. Yeah. It was probably vodka. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, how you do you look very similar? That's what I can't get over. You. You look like sisters. Yeah. You know, you and the sisters. and the voice and the well, it's the whole nature nurture thing, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, of course. And everybody well, from all my school years, you know, teachers used to say to mum, I think. She was quite chuffed. She would, she would go in for teachers. What do you call them? Parents' teachers meetings. Yes. Yeah. You know, they go, oh, don't have to ask who you are. You're, you're Deborah's mother, kind of thing. And mm-hmm. like, but, um, <laughs> but, but I, we had a friend, lovely actor friend of ours, came round for, well, a restorative breakfast during last year's fringe because he wasn't eating properly. So we had him round for an Oyster <laughs> Fry. Oh, aren't you good? Yeah. And when he came into the house, and there's a picture of mum and dad up in the living room. Mm-hmm. And he went, Jude, who's that? Who's that woman with your face? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think that, it is? Is that yeah. your mother? And you're like, oh yes, and that's lovely. However, she's about 70 in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm there already. <laughs> but no, they're good. They both of them did. Mum came from a small family. Dad came from a very big family. So mm-hmm. Yeah. But they so didn't, they didn't make money from being politicians, did they? No, and didn't and didn't make money from being teachers <laughs> either. Um, well, they were both art teachers, so you're all arty. What did yes, you very do? Talented, we're a very talented family. Yes, <laughs> you are indeed. Many many holidays spent being God. When I think of it now, been taken in around galleries to look at these wonderful wonderful works of art, and I just remember us sitting on a bench and going. How many more of these patents do we have to look at? Yeah. <laughs> I think now, by God. But, um, well, that was very, very cultural. So my big question is, how on earth did gridiron come about? It's all Jude's fault. Well, it was totally accidental, actually. I'd never, ever intended to work in theatre. I wanted to be a, 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 an artist, of, a, a fine artist. I'd left uh, McGilligan 
left school and went to Nottingham Polytechnic, back when there were polytechnics. <laughs> oh, um, a university now, wouldn't you say? Oh, oh, yes. it's, oh, it's Nottingham Trent University indeed. Oh. So I went there and did my foundation art course and realised it wasn't, uh, working alone wasn't for me, but I already had a place already at um, University of Edinburgh. Uh, that I'd applied to to do English. So I came up here and changed immediately to history of art in English and got involved act, totally accidentally in the Bedlam Theatre. Yeah. Oh, yes. And Deb, you were here by that time. I was living, um, Dave and I were living out in Pullman. Um, oh. Dave, Dave worked for the BBC. So, mm -hmm. And Deborah was an optician. Yes. Really? Dear God, would that she was still an optician because. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because save you some money. Yeah, well, she would have retired by now, and I would be being kept in a manner to which I would love to be. <laughs> I mean, you gave it up to do gridiron. Yeah, I, well, I gave it up to go home and look after mum. Yeah, after mum died, and because she wasn't in great health, and then very quickly after about uh, six months, I started to realise that actually I didn't miss it. Right. Yeah. And I think. You know, there was kind of like, wait, I, sh I should not go back to this. I was doing it more of a habit. I loved the people that I worked with and everything, but it just wasn't. But looking at eyeballs all every day, you know. <laughs> but, um, but even before that, I'd been doing the books and things for Gridiron, just sort of at night and things. So I just kept mm -hmm. doing that when I was over at home. And then, mm -hmm. and the, yeah, because I'd had a, a number of different sort of general managers after we started to get a wee bit more established at a couple of different general managers but we we needed someone to help with sort of accounting and bookkeeping which yeah. is something that Deb we, we were easily able to do from from home. Yeah, of how, how did Bedlam make you start Gridiron? Right well there'll be some names here that you'll recognize Karen. Yeah. <laughs> ah so I had only I'd got involved in Bedlam just for doing very low level sort of producing wee shows and stuff yeah. and then about I'd been about involved for about a year when I became the box office manager for the Fringe in '93, and then the year after that I was the Fringe venue manager. Just it just happened that way. I like organising things, I guess, and I was producing shows and whatnot. Yeah. And then '94 um, was also the first year of Hilary Strong. Oh, and Hilary Strong. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite, Katie. <laughs> There's a story there. Uh-huh, there yeah. is. Yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a whole different kettle of fish. Um, and, uh, but Hillary was going around all the different uh, venues and popped into Bedlam and said hello um, to me um, and uh, uh, offer, said, when you graduate, I still had another year to do. I'd just finished my third year at uni. I had another year to do. When you graduate, come and work in the fringe office. We'll, we'll, we'll get a job for you in the box office or wherever so I went oh no oh no I'm going to set up a theatre company I won't need a job I'm just going to go straight out of university <laughs> because I had met um, Ben Harrison who's who's my co-artistic director at Bedlam we really didn't like each other at all I'd produced a show that he was acting in and then in the year I was venue manager he was directing a show called Burke and Hare mm -hmm. Uh, that started off in the Bedlam and then went across and finished off in Greyfriars Kirkyard. 
we both realized that we were really interested in this kind of theater that was still kind of fledgling at the time to protect people out of theater spaces and into environments. Mm -hmm. So I woke up one morning during that festival, 1994, really hungover, not surprisingly, I went, oh God, I think I need to, I think I know what I need to do. I think I need to set up a theater company. I think I'm going to have to set it up to work with him, with Ben. I phoned Deb and Dave and went, oh my God, I think we're going to have to do this. And they went, right, absolutely. Dave, Deb's husband was a fabulous man. And he just went, right, whatever you need to do, we're on board. And they were actually on the board. (laughs) So it was basically just luck luck bad luck <laughs> um, uh, yeah so I finished no, my no but you had a vision obviously yeah. you had a vision of what you wanted and you probably saw a gap in the market that wasn't happening wouldn't you say well yeah I think it was just that t- total um uh, enjoyment of I mean because I had been maybe before I'd got involved in Bedlam I'd been to the theatre maybe three times in my life Mm-hmm. So it was more about an audience and just working with a team mm-hmm. and making these extraordinary things happen. And one of the things that happened during that um, show here in Burke, uh, on, which was on the press night, and the Bedlam, I think, probably still struggles maybe a wee bit to get press in through the doors. Maybe not. I don't know which year since it was there, but we certainly did at that point because mm-hmm. it was student theatre and it wasn't well, really. Yeah. It is a student theatre. Yeah. So uh, during the press night, we were uh, across in the graveyard and there was this beautiful English student being murdered in a very sexy way at the back of one of the prostitutes. So her and Burke were doing away with her in the back corner of the graveyard. And just as she had an orgasmic death, the castle in the background turned blood red. Oh, no. And everybody went, (gasps) How did they do that? And the press went, oh my God, how did, and we went, how did we do that? (laughs) Um, But of course it was the technical rehearsal for the tattoo. I know, amazing. But it was just that, so perfection. A a very immediate, very first um, introduction to what the world, the world around your show can can bring to it. And we were were hooked. So, So I finished my degree. I went and worked in the fringe uh, for several summers, which is the first time I met met Karen. Mm-hmm. Worked for Karen at the in her box office of the ice rink oh. for about two days. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Look at her face. Two days for the first year. Was that with Martin? Yes. I was there for when Atomic Kitten had their big break. I was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I met them. And and that was amazing wasn't it <laughs> it just seemed that um port a cabin living cold box officing was not necessarily for me so, fair enough so you know <laughs> i know but you went on to greater things continue <laughs> well i suppose we just st- we just started doing shows and well, what were the so what were the first couple shows like and when did you kind of reach your like a show that you were like yes this is it we can i can do this as a job well, our first show uh, was at the Traverse, not during mm-hmm. the festival, and Hilary Strong was actually in it. Oh my God, she was uh-huh. performing in it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and we got into that woman's talents (laughs) (laughs) yes uh one of our first reviews uh was from neil cooper actually and i think I think he was writing for the Herald, I'm not sure, but one of us, and he said, Gridiron are a fascinating new model for political theatre in Scotland. We didn't realise we were being political, but it turned out we were. But that wasn't site-specific. Then our first Fringe show, which was in 1997, was called The Bloody Chamber, which was an Angela Carter uh, novel Mm. that we adapted. And we did it in um, Mary King's Close before it became... the, 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 the sussied up tourist yeah. attraction that it is now and that really just set everything start starting for us we'd sold out more right. or less before Bonkers. we opened we got awards we hadn't a clue what, what we were doing really although I I mean saying that I had had a couple of years working in the fringe office so I knew how the mechanisms worked and we were yeah. a local Edinburgh company so you know we had benefits of that so that was that we were like oh God, there's something in this. And then the next fringe was probably when we when we realised and people realised we weren't just, we weren't just a flash in the pan. Yeah. We did a show called Gargantua again with no funding, nothing. This was the show that we discovered the building and named the building that is Underbelly. Yes, I wanted to get this in the podcast that you named Underbelly. I wanted to <laughs> yes. get it on record. <laughs> yes, we did. Uh, ben and I will go to our graves with him thinking he came up with the name and me knowing I came up with the name. <laughs> they'd like to get that on record because it was me and I can remember the phone call, but never mind. But no, so this is a show, it was a show um, based on a, a, a French novel by Rabelais called Gargantua and Pantagruel and it's about celebrating all the sort of more visceral things of life. Yeah. It's about carnival and eating and love and, you know, just enjoyment. So mm. we found this underground space, um, which is a much longer story. It was tremendous to find it. And and we called it Underbelly because it was about, well, it was underneath George IV Bridge, underneath the city. Mm-hmm. But the show was about all these, the sort of, the slightly grubbier, much more enjoyable well, things it, of life. Wasn't it used as um, an air raid shelter, or you know, because it's got the sort of. Um, I'm not sure, but I, it looks like air raid shelter. I think that was just part of it. Had been, I think, Bank of Scotland yeah. or Royal Bank of Scotland. So the offices that you go into when you go in the door from the top of Victoria Street, because mm-hmm. we found old sort of, not anything confidential, we found all sort of letterheads and things and an old calendar that's still, obviously just as they were moving out, they left a calendar on the wall from 1984, I yeah, think. Oh my God. Yeah. But then as you went down, it's, it's just basically the supporting structure for George IV Bridge. So all that <coughs> corrugated iron and stuff was just, because yeah. when they took the trams out, they took the, the drainage system with the trams. Right. So water would just run down through the building. Yeah. So a lot of that a lot of that stuff was just to sort of try and channel the water down into the sewers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then but explain how then that name became Underbelly's name. <laughs> because because <laughs> the the show that I had produced in Bedlam that I met Ben Harrison. He was acting in it, it was Edward yeah. II, and it was being co-directed by uh, the girl who directed the first Gridiron show afterwards, but also by the one and only Charlie Wood. Yes, when, of course. When he was at Edinburgh University. And he was at Edinburgh yeah. University. Yeah. I think a year 
a year or two below me. And do Charlie and Ed, the directors of Underbelly, do they uh, give you the accolade of naming their venue? Do they, do they agree that you did? Or did they ask you if they could use it? Yes, they did. So what happened was they came to see Gargantua. They, they knew each other also then. They were already doing Fringe stuff. Mm -hmm. They came to see Gargantua and then just very shortly after the Fringe, uh, and this is 1998, they turned up at my flat and asked if I had still had floor plans for the the building and mm -hmm. I did and I, we also had our own plans yeah. that we'd drawn up and they were thinking of setting up a venue and could they use the name uh, I immediately they I said well okay I'll yeah I'll think about it I immediately contacted the guy Richard Finlay who'd been giving us a lot of legal advice and asked if I could copyright it <laughs> and he said no I wish he'd said yes <laughs> um, but the, the deal was that they were supposed to give us credit in mm -hmm. programs and things when they could, that it had been originally been named yeah. by Gridiron. And well, they've, they've conveniently forgotten about that, I think. Oh, no, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And I think yeah. maybe on their Wikipedia page and stuff, we do get... Yeah, but that's what you mean. Yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm only super mildly jealous. Yeah. Of, so well, they're not doing the kind of thing that you would want to do. No, not at all. And so how do you come up with your ideas to of what you want to put on? How do you think up these plays and books that you adapt? And, you know, I mean, all that is... Very um, most of it is Ben Harrison. I mean, um, even from the very start, we would, even before we, there was any notion of us getting are you, any are you friends now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I keep, I always just call him Ben Harrison because he's Ben Harrison. I know, um, but, I, but you were saying earlier that you didn't think you liked him when you first met him, but obviously that. Okay, I think for oh, both no, of us, is... it comes and it goes, but you know, we're like family. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I was only joking, Ben, if you're listening, of course I like you. <laughs> of course I like you. Listen. But you know, we've known each other for 27 years now, yeah. so you know. But um, so he's a theatre director, so we'll, we'll talk about things that he wants to make. Um, so, for instance, his ideas, Gargantuas, his Bloody Chambers, his Barflies was his. But then, but then we have a, a view to the rest of our audience as well, and the fact that we live in a country with a lot of fabulous directing talent and um, creative talent. So every so often we'll bring on board somebody else and we ask them for their ideas. Sometimes we're approached by an organization that will want us to make a show along a specific topic or, or in a specific building. They come about in lots of different ways. Mostly it's about listening to people and identifying. Yeah extraordinary talent and asking them what they want to do yeah and and do you think it's worth it the the pros and the cons of of doing something like this well i mean there are plenty sleepless nights and there are plenty times where you go oh, oh my god how am i going to pay for how are we going to pay for x y and z and particularly since <clears throat> we're, we're we're sisters and we work together and we live together and we're you know the art is our only income, our yeah. main income. Yeah. But then you go, we're not, it's not exactly the worst life in the world. We're so mm -hmm. privileged. We get to enjoy ourselves so much. We get to work with amazing yeah. people like yourselves. Um, 
Nobody's life is on the line. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that joy you get to see. You constantly, I mean, you guys will be the same. You constantly get to see um, backstage. That's, that's the mm -hmm. joy. Um, I mean, a lot of times with a lot of shows, and I, and I love them all, but the joy of seeing all these, um, these teams being put together and taking an idea that's been like a little nugget of something. Mm -hmm. and turning it into um, a show. And one of the days that I get the most joy out of is the first read through. <laughs> but just yeah. everybody's all together in a room and you hear you hear the words spoken. Yes. You know, and it's like, it's, you know, it's goosebumps and it's... Yeah. You hear all the boxes and things like that. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you, you get to see the audience. Yeah. And you get... Because we do, we do front of house on most of our shows, particularly on the promenade sort of site specific mm. shows. So we're right there and we know exactly what things are working and what, what are like yourselves, you see the audience coming out your doors and they, you, you can immediately the, tell. You get that direct feedback that I, I think other theatre companies don't get. You know, they're relying on stuff. But the downside of that is that you also know when something hasn't worked, you yeah. tell very quickly when somebody hasn't liked something. Yeah. It's impossible to not take that to heart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. You, we take everything and, personally. And so, uh, out of the many, many shows that you've both done, what were your favourite shows and what were your favourite locations that you've done? Can you choose a favourite? It's really hard because, I mean, even the ones that I'm not so keen on <laughs> for many different reasons. Yeah, for other reasons, yeah. Yeah, um, there's always something great. There's always something that you love mm -hmm. about them. I mean, in terms of the location, I think the most extra extraordinary thing that we ever did was uh, the show at the airport, which is Rome, which is in 2006. Mm -hmm. Rome is an R-O-A-M, not Rome the, not Rome the city, yeah. which, which was very disappointing to some of our creative team. And we said, do you want to do a show called Rome? They thought it was going to be in Rome. In and we Rome, said, yeah. no, it's going to be in like Ratho. Um, <laughs> but, and it was in the first season, the National Theatre of Scotland's first season it happened at a time, you know, we got the, the government changed the law for a short period of time for us to be able to do that show in the airport wow. and take our audience uh, airside without going through security. It just, and that could never, could never happen in this wow. world that we live in. Mm -hmm. And just being on, because we collected the audience on um, on a bus at the Traverse as if they were, and put them in, uh, check their passports mm. put them into the bus as if they were heading off to travel uh -huh. and I was on the bus with the audience and a lovely actor uh, called Atasso and she's going to she's been in several of our shows she's in our next one and just driving out and seeing the airport lit up at night and going that's our venue mm -hmm. that's our performance location and and all of it is we're not just taking you into one bit and you're going to sit down in a room you're yeah. going to walk through this airport with us at one point you're going to go out the gate that's normally arrivals mm -hmm. we're going to take you up to the landside departure lounges it, it gives me it gives me goosebumps yeah i think my incredible extraordinary wise mine yeah loved roman and loved the adventure of it um but i think the most extraordinary one for me was trist oh and stavanger in Norway, in Norway, yes. uh, two thousand and eight, and it was. I mean, it was on this little island, 
uh, that they had a a boat building mm -hmm. building <laughs> builders yard yeah that's the word um and and um we put our audience on a boat and sailed them out to the and the, and the show started on the boat and then we some nights when the power went down the boat had to hit the island to be found it kind of thing it was just the island would just disappear because yeah. the lights had gone out so the captain would go we're just we're just going to ram the island so hold on so but it was it was an absolute joy and the people we met out there have remained firm friends yeah. and still come to um, our shows. They come here. to yeah. shout out to the men on Engaholman. Yeah. Well, the men and women on Engaholman. Yeah. But uh, we have, we have, yeah, they, they'll just turn up at shows. Mm -hmm. So the, the audience were in a region then that you didn't. Yeah. Any. yeah. Obviously, there was a fair number of Scottish people that took the opportunity of a of a trip over to yeah. Stavanger to come and <laughs> see the show. But it was, yeah. I mean, it was, a, yeah, it was, it, it was a life changing experience, and we all stayed. The, the company we all stayed in this little sort of um holiday village but obviously it was norwegian so it was really gorgeous and stylish it was yeah. in, the Butlands, yeah. in a place called Flurly. i could never say it right uh, about half an hour outside stavanger so we'd go back there every night and um but okay. it was also so beautiful and clean and well, the day we got the day after we got back I got up at about six in the morning and took all the furniture out of my bedroom. Deb got <laughs> all my furniture was out of my bedroom because I was like, I can't live like this anymore. I need more Norwegian. <laughs> just things I used to drop them off. I used to drive the minibus and drop you all off at the island. You would row across. You would row across. Oh, we all had, we had to. You had to row across there, and there was no road to it. Very good. Drop them off. Then I'd head off to the supermarket and the butchers and whatever, and buy food, and then come back. And then make lunch for everybody, and these big long, handmade long wooden tables and benches. So you sort of put out and brown cheese and all this sort of stuff. And have yeah, lunch. all the weird stuff. Yeah. I can remember trying to make a huge pot of um, cauliflower soup, and David Graham came over, and um, he went, "Oh, do you, as oh, a technical yeah, manager, as a technical manager, I just need to get that." And he took the window and the door off the kitchen, which is out onto the fjord. And it took me six hours to boil a, a <laughs> It was like, when are you putting the window back in? I should say, he was running some cables. Yeah. He didn't just take the window. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't put them back. Yeah. But that, that for me is a very, very special. Yeah. And how, I've, I've actually just realised how similar we are as, as companies. We're both Edinburgh based. We're both family businesses and we're both run by women. Yeah. I mean, Starting with being a family business, how has it developed and changed over the years? How do you find it? Do you like working together? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think at the beginning, whenever I was um, on the board from the start and, and that was fine, but then when I started to do the books, etc., I was over in Ireland. Mm -hmm. uh, and then whenever I came back, we did, Jimbo, we sat down and had the discussion um because i still had my room in the flat that i'd had before i moved back to her should should we work together and live together how is that going to work and um we purposely sat down and said right we give it six months at the end of six months if either of us go this isn't working then there's no big discussion about it we just you know 
yeah either live together or go or head off and work somewhere else but um but we were lucky well the fact of the matter was is that because deb had been doing bookkeeping and stuff remotely we knew that she could do the job that it became increasingly more important uh, for us to be able to as a company to be able to do professionally um mm -hmm. the business side of things mm -hmm. because we'd been going well so we started our first we started in 95 our first show was 96 but we didn't we didn't get um core funding until 2007 so oh, we'd had bits and, we did bits and pieces of um uh, project funding from Scottish Arts Council and it was actually I thought that show that we did at the airport which was our 10th anniversary I thought that was going to be our last show because it was becoming increasingly difficult to just live on project funding mm -hmm. and then um, Scottish Arts Council now Creative Scotland decided to give us our first lot of core funding and it was at that point that I knew that we needed a we needed a shift yeah. we needed a shift in what was happening in house and and Deb was able to bring that to but the company. I, but I think we also, um, we, have a, we have a very strict rule, and we've always said that, that um, once we come home at night, no work talk. So mm -hmm. for instance, if Jude thinks of something that she wants to tell me or something, then she will email me or text. Yeah. Get yeah. But we just oh, don't. While you're in the same room. Yeah. 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 Karen does not does always, doesn't understand that rule. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't yeah. always work when you've got a show in production. But, yeah. um, but generally, no, I think you need to do that and have a... a but it, it, I'm quite bad. I'll be quite bad in the mornings. Rather, the evening, I have no problems leaving it behind. But in the morning, we'll be out walking the dogs or walking the dogs down to work or whatever. And I'll go, oh, Deb, worky thing, worky thing. And it's like, I, I try and not do that. Because it is yeah. and Particularly yeah. since there's so many times during the year, much less for us than for, for, for you two, where your work is 20, like yeah. it is from nine in the morning right through mm -hmm. to five in the morning because our, the nature of our business is entertainment and it's well, you, you live and breathe it don't you i certainly oh, yeah. have in all these years but there is no money in it is no. there i mean well, if you wanted to i mean i'm i'm i know you're saying you're really lucky but you know you're never going to make millions out of what you do and that's okay is it yeah i think I think it's it's not a it's not a business that's valued mm -hmm. <laughs> to the same extent that um, this is a pet hate of mine. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't say this, but you know people will, will quite happily spend sixty, seventy, eighty quid to go and see a band. Yeah. Um, but ask them to pay even twenty five quid for a theatre ticket that has employed thirty people. Yeah. Um, then they, they don't see the value of it and that annoys me sometimes mm -hmm. or the people will go will spend you know thousands on a season ticket to go and watch a football team um, and has no problem with it it's it, it just that but I don't know what we can do about that I mean yeah. you can make I mean we're all right we're sitting in a house and we yeah. have a mortgage and we have our two dogs you know we're, we're grand we're yeah. in a lot better situation at the minute than a lot of our freelance yeah. pals yeah. and pals who don't have Creative Scotland support coming in. I mean, we're still waiting for our big commercial break. Yeah. I mean, we'd have, we certainly would not say no <laughs> do to... You, do you want that? Do you? If it was the right it, show and with the nice, right people. It would be nice to have something that just um, headed out and ticked along in the background and meant that you knew sort of core cost-wise you were okay. 
Well, I that's mean. exactly what I've always wanted to find my mama Mia. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, that could that you play know. on and play on. Yeah, you're just fundraising for shows opposed to salaries and office rent and, yeah. you know, the boring things. But yeah. now we are in a crisis here with coronavirus. Mm. And how are you feeling? I mean, the feeling of not knowing the future, not knowing, I mean, how are you, how are you coping? Well, I mean, the thing is, um, if it had been any other year for us in in the past say 10 years mm. we would be in a completely unmanageable situation mm. it just so happens that this year the 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 one show that we were planning for this financial year is quite small and manageable um so and, no partners, and, and so. we'd no but we were not waiting on like 75 percent of the of our money to be able to make the show coming in from partners that we were working with that would all find themselves in the same situation. Mm -hmm. But that is literally, this is the only year that we mm -hmm. would have had that experience. So we're, we're okay at the minute. We're able to um, uh, honor all our freelance contracts staff. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, there is a potential that if it's safe and we're allowed out free to roam again in August, that we could make that show happen. We could probably even make it with a two meter, exclusion zone for both the actors and the audience because it's outside yeah but of course we can only do that if it's safe we can only do that if the council will be able to license places yeah. for entertainment um and of course it, it was the not knowing at the minute that's fine yeah. not knowing absolutely so but you, you can't plan you can go well you know it's like we've got plan a b c d and but they could all disappear with something next Monday. But but the thing is, we're in a very different situation to, to you because you have to be able to put like it's yeah. it's it's like the the buildings, all the theatre buildings are going, and and all the companies as well. You can't just put something up immediately. It takes yeah. three weeks, four weeks, six mm. months to get back up to get people on stages yeah. to get mm -hmm. well, shows on stages. So. I think it's highly unlikely that it'll be safe enough to do anything in August. And even if it was, it would have to be quite small, I think, because because of the cost, because we bring most of the stuff from England, you know, that we all share big companies, you know, and we put up, you know, we build the theatres. Yeah. yeah, see, that's the thing because ours is small, because it's outdoors, because we're not needing to build a theater, we're actually, it's, it's, it's like a sort of woody glade. Mm -hmm. We know that we'll have access yeah. to the small amount of equipment that we'll need to make it happen. Yeah. But it's whether or not even 20, and, I mean, the audience that we're already, that we were already aiming for was like 40 people a performance. Mm -hmm. So the box office on that is all uh, against income against expenditures already mm -hmm. negligible. So if we had to stop that at 20 mm. to be able to get an exclusion two meters, but it's whether or not people are going to want to. I mean, life might be very, very different after this. You know, I mean, I think people will want to go into, well, open air bars or yeah. to go into watch a performance especially some of the festival shows and some of the venues are so small you know no, 
be in that close close proximity to like 500 people yeah. i think it'll yeah. take, take a while you change everything yeah. and i mean you'll remember yourself before before lockdown when we were still all out but just before if 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 you coughed mm-hmm. beside somebody oh my god you yeah. just yeah you know, imagine somebody coughing watching a show in, when in you're all in, trapped in one wee room yeah. is gonna um, now I have one more question. I would like to move from oh, the COVID. Honestly, we've talked about it a lot. Carry on, Karen. I know, but you've now made me forget. Thank Good. you. <laughs> that was my plan all along. <laughs> my my head is full of talking about close quarters inside. And this is no, what I was just going to say. Our planning is we plan to start from September, and we have to do that. But you know, if it doesn't start in September, I'm going to be very, very worried. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, Katie, so please ask a question. Um, so we'll, we will wrap this up soon. But I have a question about being, obviously, you're, uh, as well as us, females. Yes. Uh, two ladies that run a company. Um, have, you, <laughs> um, have, you, have you ever experienced any challenges of, running a company as a woman, or do you think the arts industry is quite supportive of it? I would say you would have to be bolder, am I right? Do you have to be stronger or harder or louder or? And whether you feel it or not, you have to fake the confidence until you, what do they call it, fake it till you make it. You have to be confident. Um, And- I struggle with it. There's been a few situations have been in, in the early days where people would, if we were to meet me, you and Ben, people would direct everything to Ben. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, or technical manager, they would direct everything to the technical manager if he was male instead of Jude or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But not so much now, I don't think. To be honest, I've only, yeah, in this country, I've only experienced one, uh, one really sexist, misogynistic uh, person who's a theatre director of one of, of a director of one of the big buildings, and I'll not say who mm-hmm. he was. He has yeah. passed on now. I'll never forget it. Okay. And I'm not the only person, I'm not the only woman that came up against his particular mm-hmm. um, brand of charm. <laughs> um, it was interesting, so we did a lot of work. We did a lot of work in the Middle East in the sort of 2004-05 period, and there you really, it was really... Mm. interesting scene but it was cultural so you just had to accept it that no the women in the room didn't get any any recognition at all and everything had to had to go through the men and we were working through uh, Arabic translators and so that actually helped in a wee bit yeah I think I think I mean we we have one of our we uh, one of our uh, company statements from policy statements from the very earliest days is that we would provide strong roles for women on and off stage mm-hmm. and that wasn't born out of any overt feminism or political leaning it was mostly born out of the fact that we were women yeah. Yeah. Setting, up a, setting up a company and yeah. one of the interesting things is I think is going to we've done such a good job of providing opportunities I don't mean we gridiron I mean the sector theatre sector and the entertainment sector particularly at our level are providing opportunities for women that we're now going to struggle to get men on our teams particularly <laughs> our stage management yeah. teams i could yeah. like the two maybe three male stage managers that we get to work with um yeah. on a regular basis and 
and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, all female teams are great. It's just there should be balance in everything, yeah. in everything that we do. Yeah. Um, so we get some phone, more, Sorry, carry on. I was just going to say, if so some more boys could go and train yeah. the stage managers, that would be great. But that if the women could keep trained, chain, training as well, and also to be technical managers and lighting designers, that would be great. Definitely, definitely. Um, my final question is about um, what some would think of as uh, the snobby theatre world. Um, Karen and I feel a bit out of our depth in um, theatre circles sometimes, and you two are both very down-to-earth and normal, and we <laughs> like hanging out with you and talking to you, but I find it quite intimidating, that world. Have you ever experienced that, or do you just ignore it? <laughs> yeah, you do. We both nodded. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it can be hard, it can be, um, could be hard, I think it actually goes very nicely, it goes back to that thing of being brought up, you're no better than anybody else, but you're no worse than anybody else. Yeah. So, you know, I have been in the situation of going into rooms where I've said that to myself outside the door before you open the door and go in. And it can be, and it can be very, um, it can be a very closed Yeah, thank you. Um, but once you break into that, genuinely they're not. They're um, well, certainly at, at our level, um, it's very supportive and very. Everybody wants everybody to succeed. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we're not building based, so that's a, that could be a different thing. But I think I mean, there's a lot of you know chat about you know every people thinking that everybody knows the names of everybody and every yeah. you know and yeah. that everybody knows x y and z plays so i the, the the main thing is to be able to go well oh no i don't know them and no i don't know that play um, you know it's good for us we're in new writing so you know we can get away with going well i've you know I've read some yeah. shakespeare but we don't make it happen but i mean the main thing is is if if there are people that are making you feel uncomfortable because they think you don't know enough or they think you don't know the same things that they know you probably don't want to be in the room with them anyway yeah. and they've probably got very little to offer you yeah i mean i have to say there is such an elitism in the arts and not just the theater but in um the visual arts and and um, music and you know and and you just have to be confident you don't have to pretend you know it no but but you have to be confident and, you know, smile and say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then go and Google it afterwards. Yeah. I think we're lucky too, because with our audience as well, I don't think we get necessarily um, typical theatre audiences that would feel intimidated about going into a building, going into a theatre building. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, was your marketing hard in, in the early days? Now your marketing's much easier because they know who you are. And Well, I think we just, we really lucked out from the fact that I had worked at the Fringe and, and um, so we, we kind of knew what would work in, in that environment. And we knew that um, something in an unusual space late at night that nobody else is going to yeah. get into coupled with it being Angela Carter and all sorts of things. You know, we had no problems um, at the start, but it was just, it was a very specific set of uh, yeah. sort of occurrences. We also were very, very lucky because um, one of the people we brought with us uh, uh, as a friend and a, as a colleague from me working in the Fringe was Emma Quinn, 
who used to design the Fringe program and has now okay. designed all our marketing material since. Oh, fabulous, fabulous, really. And now she's a patron of the company. Uh, we are her daughter's godmothers. Oh, um, so we started off at a really high level. Yeah. And, and any, if anything, I think it's harder now than it was back in the day because it's a more crowded market. Mm. I think we, st but we also started at a time when, when you got the Fringe program, because I can remember doing it. Um, you did take it to bed, and for over a week, you read the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and with the with the best will in the world now. Yeah, you, know, you couldn't read the whole of the fringe program now. You know? Of course, it's not just about the fringe; it's about year round yeah, stuff. Yeah. And I think it's also it's more it's it's more difficult to widen, diversify your market yeah. now. Even though we have so many other tools at our fingertips, like our phones and social media, I think. Yeah. It's such a crowded, crowded arena. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That it's very important for it's very important for us still to know, you know, to be realistic about the number of people that the size of audience that we can attract. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even though we've got a twenty-five year old track record and we've got all the awards and stuff, it's yeah, it's it's every, not it's every not show's easy. new, you know. Yeah, of new, so you're you're starting again, the beginning of everyone. Well, thank you very much, ladies. It's been a joy. Should we not wind it up with what did your mummy say? <laughs> what did your mummy say to you? I thought we were going to wind up with a rendition of um, Sunshine on Leaf. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've done that before. Yeah, yeah. The last time that we were in, we'll explain the story, the last time that we were in the pub together, well, Two times ago, we got. And uh, first of all, I might add that I have never been a dog lover. Carry yeah. on. Well, you can maybe extend the story. I was just going to say that we got exceedingly drunk, painfully drunk on white wine. And we got very enjoyably drunk. Yeah, yeah it was very fun. Um, and we're screaming uh, Sunshine and Leaf together at the top of our voices as the only people left in a very empty bar in, in the shore yeah. on Leaf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mitigating factor, none of us had had work tea. Yeah. No, we hadn't had work tea. We didn't and that's what we're going to do yeah, next we time. We're going to have good drinks but we're going to have our tea. We're going to yeah. eat something. Yeah. Yes. Totally <laughs> and uh, we both fell in love with your dogs and we've still got photos of uh, me cuddling yeah. your one, oh, Debbie. Really? Oh, he, do you know every time we've got, because the Guild of Berlin office is just below our oh, office, yeah. the same building, and we walk past your office every morning and every morning Billy heads into you. To be honest, yeah. I'd be happy to not do the extra two flights of stairs up to our office. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you get that one? Are we up there? Why didn't you get one? I think oh, the one below you is empty. You know, it wasn't at the time though. Yeah. But also, yeah. our view is amazing. Mm. Is, I know. I know it's a beautiful. Jealous view. of your view. Yeah. Um, how are you finding isolation, ladies? Are you all right? It's okay. We've we're a week more than are you most folk because well, Jude's in a what are you? Are you vulnerable? Are you high risk? I don't know. You're oh, yeah, yeah. Increased you're, risk. You're increased I finally risk. got a text saying you are identified as increased risk, but I'm sure you are too, Karen. I'm thinking. I've yeah. had two letters and they phoned me and asked me lots of questions and yeah. asked me if I if they if I want to be resuscitated when the time comes. <gasps> 
I said, yes, I do. Yes, please. Thank you very much. Yes, thank yeah, you. You saved my life. Thank you. They, you know, they've written all this down. My God. That's going to make you feel hopeful, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's very scary. I mean, I think, okay. I think the fact that we live together and work together anyway uh -huh. means we're not really isolated because... Well, and also for the first 15 years of Red Iron, we were working out of whatever flat I was yeah. in anyway. Yeah. So it's easier for us. I know, Katie, in your last podcast, Even although you're not blood. <laughs> I would have her blood. <laughs> I know you were saying in the last podcast how hard you find it without your team. And I know, yeah. we know also... Oh my God, you've actually listened. You yeah. did your research. Oh my oh, goodness oh. me. But, you not, um, she's been a bit sad. <laughs> but also, I mean, my team is here. Yeah, you know, and 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 you know, we're we're we've we've got a small number of people. We haven't had to furlough anyone, yeah. so mm. uh, because literally we are the full time team, and then everyone else is freelance. Of course. So I can understand that it's it's hard to not feel sad because you're ferreting about and yeah. you you've got each other, but you still. Yeah. You know, I know it was it was ridiculous that Katie didn't come and stay here from the beginning. But no, no. <laughs> also, you do need to be chatting at the end of it. Yeah. I know. Exactly. She would rather not, which is fine. We, talk, we do talk to each other every 10 minutes on the phone, though, of the entire day. <laughs> I mean, who knows if two of us will um, come out yeah. of this life or will strangle one another? I know, exactly. Well, we never argue. I don't believe that for a minute. We generally have one, and I mean, a good argument, I mean, slamming doors and stuff about once every year, year and a half. Strangely, it sometimes coincides with white wine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah. That's, fine. that's about the same and, with us. And that's a blowout, you get it out your system. Good blowout, lasts for about two hours, and that's fine. But you yeah. have to give a ding dong every so often, don't you? You do. Well, Katie do. and I actually don't row that much. We, she gets angry at me, and I say, stop being angry at me, and then go on the phone and then talk as if nothing had happened. Karen, do you, do you, should we not finish with what would your mammy say? Yeah. Our mammy always said, never go to bed on an argument. Yeah, that's never go right. to bed on an argument. Yeah, that's a good advice. Very good advice. That's good advice. Thank you so much. Thank you, Judy. And it's also wonderful to see you. So we should yeah. have a proper virtual drink. Oh, yes. Well, come round. No. Oh yes, yeah. are we allowed to? No, we can't until we're yeah, once it's all over. Yeah. 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 Yeah.